Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, claims to the paranormal. No way. We take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy, and we are here with a book report. The end is nigh. Nah. Or maybe not. The end is nah. We went to a rapture anti-protest. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Whatever you would call that back in the day. And uh, you had a sign that said the end is far. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which and is good. far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it still is, probably. But the book we're talking about is All the Rage. Is it? Okay, you told me about this. I had not heard about it, but I think I'm in the wrong circles. Well, let me tell everybody about it. Okay, Ross is in the right circles. Okay, so this book is called The Great Disappearance, mm-hmm. and it's disappearing off of store shelves. Is that true? Is this popular? I had seen a trailer for this book without realizing it was a trailer for the book. Yes. It was just a really slick trailer, which now has over 5 million views on YouTube. You sent this to me. Looks like a movie. Looks like a Christian movie. And you know what? I would imagine a movie's on the way. Though, of course, there's no narrative structure to this whatsoever. Yeah. But if you turned kind of what they did in the trailer into a movie, mm-hmm. you know, you might have something. Oh, man, that trailer makes it look so much more interesting. The, the thumbnail for the trailer says, The Rapture Caught on Camera. But the title of the video is The Great Disappearance. Okay. When the rapture occurs, the world will capture the moment. Cell phones, security cameras law enforcement body cams, doorbell cams, and more will all bear video record of the great disappearance. The world will reel with concern from watching the strange, mind-boggling and unbelievable video footage that goes viral across the globe. People vanish before their eyes and all caught on camera. This event won't be science fiction, conspiracy theory, or mindless speculation. When Christ comes for his people, it will be in the twinkling of an eye. Between the resurrected dead and the raptured, billions of people will exit this planet in an instant, but billions will be left behind. It will be chaos on our globe, but incredible glorious joy in the skies. This is the rapture, the great disappearance. It is vital to know what the Bible says about this coming day, the next event on God's prophetic agenda for the earth. Are you ready? The URL they show at the end is perhapstoday.org. <laughs> okay. Always applicable. Perhaps not.com. Yeah. Maybe later.biz. But eventually.net. Yeah. That looks like it's going to be a movie. Yeah. But when you showed it to me, I was like, oh, yeah, I get the appeal. Super slick for a book trailer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, like paranormal activity meets the rapture. So we should explain what the rapture is. Yeah. Let's talk about the rapture. Okay. Evangelical Christians have this idea. That Jesus is coming back and he's grabbing the believers and sucking them up into heaven before all the real shit goes down in the end times here on earth. Yeah, technically all Christians believe Jesus is coming back. 
But yeah, it's evangelicals who identify this rapture-specific timeline in the Bible. Oh, interesting. See, I felt not convinced of that. I didn't finish this book, but the first half I was like, I'm not even convinced this is in the Bible. (laughs) Oh, it is, uh, except... Okay, all right. Well, this is a deeper (laughs) conversation that we'll get into. Of course, the word rapture is not in the Bible, Mm -hmm. but then again, neither is purgatory, neither is limbo, neither is a lot of concepts that the church holds dear. The Trinity would be the best example, but it does describe Jesus coming back. Jesus coming back, definitely. Yeah, and he's got like three major chapters he points to, uh, John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Thessalonians 4. But of course, the book of Revelation, everybody knows that's the forward-facing book about the end. And Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. I am coming soon. He says it multiple times. Yeah, Jesus was really clear about coming back and coming back while the people who are still alive right now as I'm leaving, they will still be alive when I come back. Right, and even the Jesus supposedly speaking for himself and not the fever dream Jesus of revelation even like the og jesus preaches that he will return in the clouds seated at the right hand of the father and all of that kind of stuff and uh, yeah it's all very imminent one thing that i thought when i saw that trailer is he's taking the point of view that it is a silent and quick rapture mm-hmm. which is confusing because i've always heard about this trumpet oh okay interesting that a uh, trumpet is what comes to mind well none of those videos that are shown in the little trailer have sound attached to them but it says like in the blink of an eye they're just going to be missing and then it shows people sort of like looking around them and their friends are gone and you know their bike is still there or whatever it seems all very sudden and not You know, people looking around being like, what the fuck just happened? I heard a big loud noise and all my friends were sucked up into heaven. It was more confusion. Okay. He'll bring up the trumpet a few times and say some weird things about it. But where I thought you were going, what I kept thinking about is that he makes a big deal about how during the rapture, we will, we meaning Christian believers, living and dead, we will all be caught up in the air together. Mm -hmm. And it talks about ascension and being lifted up. But... You have all these depictions of the rapture happening, and in the blink of an eye, people disappear. And that is what mm-hmm. you see in this video. Mm-hmm. And all these little jump scares that are very cute, using modern like security cameras and stuff. Yeah, that's what I thought it was going to build on, is like everyone's ring camera just captures this or whatever. Yeah. Not really a prominent part of the book, first half. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does describe that. But yeah, yeah, the book is is something different. But anyways, the the thing that really irked me throughout the whole book... And, you know, all of these depictions of people just being there one frame and gone the next. Yeah. Is that you have this description of everyone being caught up in the air together. Yeah. So is it everybody rising like a helium balloon? Right. Okay. And then clumping up somewhere in the air. (laughs) And then worldwide, I guess there's multiple clumps. Like you got a clump over each continent. I don't know. Am I brought over to the East Coast from California? (laughs) Okay. Is there a local clump? I don't know. That's, That's one thing. But... The disappearing is a different thing unless you like disappear and reappear up in the air somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I kept getting kind of caught up on this. and I Everyone's getting caught up. Yeah. I thought this would become more clear to me, and I got to say it does not. Yeah, I still have no clue how he pictures that going down, uh, but it's kind of silly. And uh, I was, I was going to talk about this later, but one thing he keeps doing in the book is quoting C.S. Lewis. 
uh-huh. as many, many Christians do. Right. It's kind right. of their intellectual forebear. Uh, yeah, he's on Team Jesus and he's smart. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so a lot of people kind of defer their their thinking to him. But a lot of people don't necessarily read him. And if you read C.S. Lewis, he says some weird stuff. Why, you have a C.S. Lewis book right there. Yeah, this is one my sister bought for me. It's called Miracles. That's a cool cover. Yeah, and she hadn't read it either. So I did a little book okay. report where I kind of pointed out, yeah, C.S. Lewis doesn't really think about miracles the same way you do. Thanks for this book, though. So, first of all, C.S. Lewis thinks that miracles are incredibly rare activities, and he didn't feel he had ever witnessed one in his lifetime. Okay. So, okay. Says a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But referring to this whole getting caught up in the air resurrection thing, he was talking about Jesus ascending, because there's this whole scene, Jesus dies, he comes back, he's got this new resurrected body, for some reason it still has wounds in it, and then after he spends a few days hanging out, he goes back to heaven. And he ascends. Yeah. It says eventually, like, some clouds cover him up. So, you know, the disciples are all there watching him. All of a sudden, clouds get in the way. And you have to wonder, like, well, then what? Does he (laughs) ascend to, like, Superman speed? Or, like, does he go plaid and, like, shoot off into space? The the stage door has closed, and we don't know. Or does he disappear? Is heaven in the clouds somewhere? Right. Obviously, our our vision of the universe has expanded a bit since those times. Whoever wrote down clouds at the time was like... White stuff in the air. So C.S. Lewis, to his credit, he realized that this is an issue. Okay. What uh, year are we reading from here? 1947. Okay. Okay. Almost 80 years ago. For here, surely, we get the implication of all those primitive crudities to which I have said that Christians are not committed. The vertical ascent like a balloon, the local heaven, the decorated chair to the right of the Father's throne... Quote, he was caught up into the sky, says Mark's gospel, and sat down at the right hand of God. He was lifted up, says the author of Acts, and a cloud cut him off from their sight. It is true that if we wish to get rid of these embarrassing passages, we have the means to do so. The Markan one probably formed no part of the earliest text of St. Mark's gospel, and you may add that the ascension, though constantly implied throughout the New Testament, is described only in these two places— Can we then simply drop the Ascension story? The answer is that we can do so only if we regard the resurrection appearances as those of a ghost or hallucination. For a phantom can just fade away, but an objective entity must go somewhere. Something must happen to it. And if the risen body were not objective, then all of us, Christian or not, must invent some explanation for the disappearance of the corpse. Uh, So anyways, I just think it's hilarious that he refers to it as an embarrassing passage And Mm. uh, tries to think, well, you know, this part of Mark wasn't original, so maybe it's Mm -hmm. just an interpolation. But C.S. Lewis didn't like it. He didn't like the idea of Jesus just floating up into the air like a balloon. And and allowing for error in the Bible. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's Uh, a big move. Yeah, guess what? C.S. Lewis doesn't really agree with all y'all on a lot of things. Mm. He was a smart guy, but he made a lot of bad analogies. I'll just say that. What's the C.S. for? Clive Staples. Clive Staples. Yeah, it's pretty good. Why not? Wow. Why not uh, just read that out yeah, every that's time? That's a good name. But everybody called him Jack. C.S. Lewis. Oh, really? Yeah, that was his nickname. It's weird. Anyways, there will huh. be a lot of C.S. Lewis quoting in this book. But like I said, I didn't know that this trailer was for a book. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was expecting. Yeah, it seems like a movie. It seems like I'm going to go see this on Tubi and it's going <laughs> to convince me that Jesus. 
wants me to take him as my Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of we, course, that is always the real point. Yes, yes, exactly. That's I was why we're say here. That. So Ross and I both bought copies of this book <laughs> um, because we are the target audience. Yes. And uh, <laughs> it's one of those, you know, you're reading it thinking like, well, who who's reading this who doesn't agree with you? And then I realized, well, me, mm-hmm. I'm the one reading it who doesn't agree with you. But <laughs> yep. for the most part, when he gets to the parts where he's telling me to accept Jesus, I'm like, come on, 95% <laughs> of your readership is already on board with you, but yeah. if not more. And if they're not, they're reading this for some other reason, but they're probably aware of the option. <laughs> yeah, they're not like, oh, what's this? But it's What's just, this now? Jesus died for my sins? It's a switch you can't turn off when yeah. you're an evangelical. I was reminded of that Noah's Ark too, uh, because- Oh yeah, they had that. Multiple times you're confronted with the salvation message from Ray Comfort, from this whole section on the third floor that has like this walkthrough comic book. That's all about getting you to accept Jesus. Because, yeah, that's why the Ark is there. Not just to make these points about history. Mm -hmm. They want you to accept Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's what this book wants. So what brought this back to uh, the fore in my mind was an email from listener Anna Siftar. She says that she works at a bookstore. And just the day that she wrote us, she said that she had received a call from a man who ordered the book The Great Disappearance and was wondering why it had not yet arrived. (laughs) It's disappeared. So she looks at the ordering website and sees that there's hundreds of copies back ordered, even though this thing comes from HarperCollins. That's how demanded yeah okay yeah and she said yeah i'm sorry it might be on back order until early december and he said you know why this is a problem right and (laughs) the rapture is going to occur soon and i might not be here when the book arrives (laughs) Okay. So I guess I guess he's worried that he won't be prepared because the subtitle of The Great Disappearance is 31 Ways to Be Rapture Ready. Okay. So maybe he feels he's only ready in three ways. I don't know. I wonder if he even is really that worried. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. She didn't mention any sense of like it being tongue in cheek or anything like that. Well, I mean, I bet he's trying to motivate her. Oh, right. Just using this as a I need this book faster. Yeah. And so do you actually now that we think about it. Mm hmm. She didn't know anything about this, so she asked him, oh, is there like a, a date attached? <laughs> Did you guys set a date? <laughs> and and he said something to the effect of, no, but it's coming. It could happen at any time. Oh, okay. Well, you, you send us that save the date when he says, when he sets it. And she said, well, if the rapture happens before you get the book, you haven't paid for it yet, so we would be able to <laughs> just return it, no problem. <laughs> so that was hilarious to me, and I went to look this up. And on Amazon, it was listed number one in Christian prophecies. Okay. Eh, small pond. Number one in Christian eschatology. Okay. Number one in Christian spiritual warfare. Okay. Wow. That's a that's a category. Wow. Yeah. And in each of those, it would have like multiple places because there would also be the audiobook, which would also be in the high top oh, sure. tens and of course. other versions. But overall... It is currently, right now, number 16 on Amazon's most sold nonfiction list. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, big deal. And that's down from its peak. The week of November 5th, it was number six selling Uh, nonfiction on Amazon. Okay. So so this is a big deal. This thing's selling a lot. And when I was there looking at the current list, it was just... Two places under the body keeps, keeps the, the score. score. Okay, I was waiting for this. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, okay. Which has been on that list for 158 weeks. Yep. Okay, I figured you'd be yep. intimately familiar with that. Uh, but going back to The Great Disappearance, it's also just number 38 in books overall. 
all books. Wow. Yeah, this is big. So if you go to your, I don't know, grandma's house or your aunt's, there's a good chance you're going to see this blue uh, sky with clouds and a annular ring around the moon. It looks so much like something that belongs in clearance at Borders. 100%. You, you buy this while you're standing in line, you know, behind 25 people, and then you're like, oh, you know what? <gasps> we didn't get anything for Christine. And then you just look down, and that's there, and you're like, Christine's Christian. Let's get her this. As long as it's not on back order. Yeah, so this guy who wrote it, Dr. David Jeremiah. Yes, doctor, Dr. D. Okay, so already we have this, to me, kind of forgettable name because it's just like two common biblical Mm -hmm. names, David Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. Guess what his middle name is? Uh Uh-oh. Think of the biggest troublemaker in all of Christianity. Pontius Pilate? I don't know. I'm thinking of them as a troublemaker. Paul? Yeah. That's okay. his, his middle name is Paul. That's also <laughs> okay. my dad's name. But Dr. David Paul Jeremiah. His son is David Michael Jeremiah. Oh, so goodness. Bible names for everybody. Okay. And guess where the doctorate comes from? Oh, I looked this up. It's a theological school, right? Yeah, but it was an honorary doctorate from where he got his bachelor's ah, degree. Okay. A Baptist college in Ohio. Ooh, okay. Honorary doctorate from a Baptist college. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. How is that? Like, if you get an honorary doctorate, do you put doctor in your title on a book? I know, I know. That would feel dishonest to me. I know, I know. I'd feel kind of strange about it too, but there are are people who do it. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I guess- I don't have strong feelings. Yeah, I don't have strong feelings either. But I do think it is a funny move to do it when it's an honorary doctorate from a Bible college. Now we are (laughs) (laughs) twice in questionable territory. Fair. He did get his master's in theology from, and he'll mention this in the book, Dallas Theological Seminary. Mm -hmm. That becomes relevant. And he is now senior pastor of Shadow Mountain Community Church in El Cajon. El Cajon. Shout out to my friends, the Aguayos. Yeah. And uh, I think I recall him saying in the book that he inherited that position as the senior pastor there from Tim LaHaye. Yes. Yeah, who, that who was, was an introduction. like one of the authors of that whole Left, Left Behind, Behind series. A popular Christian paperback series about the rapture. I've probably said this on the podcast before, but I always wanted to make a, I don't know, spoof or follow up to Left Behind called The Other Cheek. Carrie's thinking about it. So is it like... <laughs> Okay, so there's the left side of your behind, and yeah. then there's the other side. The other okay. cheek. Okay. Yeah, okay. another right. biblical okay, reference. Okay, okay. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> I just had to follow it, had to follow it. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, the uh, the foreword is really where all the action is in this book, right? Lot, lots going on. Boy, there's nothing new under the sun with this guy. This book is just about the rapture. I don't know what I expected, but I just expected like yeah. some new take. Right. And he's just like, right. Jesus it's, is coming back. It's going to be how you always thought it was. It and is. And like a hundred pages in, I'm like, what? That's fair. Because it's it's rehash. Yeah. And he has some insights that I thought, oh, I've never heard that before. Or that's, you know, slightly different take. But for the most part, this is just warmed over beliefs about the rapture. No reason for the guy calling the bookstore to be like super concerned that he didn't <laughs> get this new information that has suddenly arisen about the rapture and Jesus's return and us all getting caught up in the air. And by the way, it's not 31 ways to be rapture ready. It's 31 chapters long. Uh, I don't know why people do that. Act like something's a listicle when it isn't. This is kind of an industry for this guy. So I was looking at other books he's written. 2022, 
Mm-hmm. Remember that year? Yes. He wrote the book After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival. Oh, wow. Okay. And then he like immediately got started on this. Right. But that same year, 2022, he also wrote The World of the End, How Jesus's Prophecy Shapes Our Priorities. Oh, no. 2021, he wrote Where Do We Go From Here? Oh, how no. Tomorrow's Prophecies Foreshadow Today's Problems. Oh, no. Uh, he wrote another book. I think this one was 2020, The Handwriting on the Wall, Secrets from the Prophecies of Daniel. And in 2019, he wrote The Book of Signs. 31 undeniable (laughs) prophecies of the apocalypse. God. Like, dude, you're just, I I mean, I haven't read those, but I'm pretty sure he's just kind of recapitulating the same things over and over, slightly new dressing. And he's got this fancy church and clearly this whole media empire. He runs Turning Point Radio and Television. He's obviously got some great designers, you know, that they can Mm -hmm. make this trailer and everything like that. But he's just got a good apparatus for turning out all these books on the end times that sit on your aunt's shelf. <laughs> yeah, very much. I mean, it's not quite L. Ron Hubbard level or anything, but it's it gives me that that feeling of like sort of manic, constant writing. Oh, yeah. You know, why do you write like you're running out of time? And with certain people like Isaac Asimov, it's like, how can you possibly do this? Be researching so much and thinking uh-huh. so deeply that you turn out so many books. And then people like this, I just think, <laughs> oh, oh, that's Al. You have a different conception of a book, and that's yes. why you can write 20 books, and I haven't written one. Yes. I can't remember who this was, but someone was talking about how he wrote his book and he was like, I just got on a plane and I just wrote the whole time. (laughs) I wrote the entire way there and I wrote the entire way back. You just have to make yourself do it. And I was like, Oh, so a book's not something important to you. (laughs) Yes. You don't mind wasting other people's time. I've been writing a book for 10 hours a day for three years. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Books mean different things to different people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but okay, I'll get on a plane. (laughs) And shit one out. (laughs) Um, Okay, yeah, this this forward is so dense. Can I tell you a couple things I noticed about it? Yeah. Okay, I love that he connects himself to Hal Lindsey. So there was this writer (laughs) Uh (laughs) named Hal Lindsey who famously in 1970 wrote this book where he was like, the world's going to end by 1990, probably 1988, but 1990 at the latest, we are pieced out of here. Yeah, he made it pretty clear that the world would be done with before December 31st, 1988. Yeah, and then there was like some point where he actually said, well, by 1990 at the least. Or at, the, at the latest. Of course, what always happens, the date creep, because Jesus doesn't show up. Right. He doesn't come back. And then by the time you've done that twice, people are like, ah, ah, three strikes you out. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, Harold Camping. <laughs> exactly. So late great planet Earth, famously a failed prophecy. Mm-hmm. And this guy, this writer, David Jeremiah, evokes Hal Lindsey and says, well, you know, I've worked with the same brilliant minds that Hal's worked with because I use the same <laughs> ghostwriter, Carol Carlson. She co-writes with me and that connects me to him. I was like, why? First of all, this is a weak connection. But second, why do you want to be connected with him? What, what right. cachet does this Should, earn you? Shouldn't you be embarrassed that you went to the same school and have so many close connections to this guy that was obviously wrong? <laughs> Why are you so proud of this? But he talks about how much that book sold without mentioning like, also the book was wrong and now everyone makes fun of it. Right. He just says, this book brought the message of biblical prophecy into everyday conversation. (laughs) Ah, it's so 
so it's like disingenuous. Saying, like, Rachel Dolezal brought like race into everyday conversation. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Well, true. Yeah, she was the woman who said she was black. Yeah, she felt she was. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Okay, but Carol Carlson, who co-wrote Late Great Planet Earth and had written previous books with David Jeremiah, I was like, oh, she sounds like the secret sauce. Who's she? Yeah, the tie that binds. Yeah, so I bought his other book that he co-wrote with her, Invasion of Other Gods, The Seduction of New Age Spirituality. You showed this to me. It looks uh, it looks pretty ripe. Yeah, so I've got that here. And then I also looked into her just a tiny bit and found that Carol Carlson in 1992 appears to have faked her own kidnapping. Oh, just like Amy Semple McPherson. Uh, yes, and... Um, uh, the founder of the Foursquare Church. And uh, Agatha Christie for 11 days faked amnesia. I didn't know um, that. Yeah, and disappeared and yeah, faked the whole story. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, there's there's still speculation about whether she actually faked it or not. But okay. yeah, there's a pretty, pretty fun article from 2004 in the Des Moines Register about her. I like when he mentions her and I think her husband, Ward. Mm-hmm. He says, they have graduated into the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. There's quite a euphemism for death. Yeah. Also, she and her husband, Ward, had been divorced for like 20 odd years or something when Whoa. they died. So that sentence is kind of misleading. There's me, so but. many little things just left out because mm-hmm. they're inconvenient. Yeah. And I kept waiting for the shoe to drop for him to just kind of realize the irony of him referring to all of these people of the past who spoke of God's imminent return. I'm like, yeah. But d- and d- then? But they- they lived their whole lives eagerly awaiting this and nothing ever happened. So that was kind of a waste, wasn't it? Right, right, right. And and I guess, I guess the implication here is that, well, you need to live like Jesus is coming back at any moment and that will give you the proper attitude for life. But I mean, all that hand wringing and uh, I don't know, maybe some focus could have been elsewhere, like making the planet better for future generations. Totally. And uh, my God, it's been this guy's like singular obsession, you know, you know, Clearly. all the books that he wrote. And then I think he he actually says somewhere near the beginning, says like, this is, oh, here it is. For most of my life, I've been thinking about this very day, the predicted moment when Jesus will re-enter Earth's atmosphere for his church. The reason I'm asking you to imagine it is because I've been doing the same for decades. It's hard to get your head around the pandemonium that will engulf our planet when Jesus fulfills his promise to come for his people. So I'm just picturing just sitting there just like (laughs) stewing, you know, like, Hmm. I don't know Hmm. if it's like, He's keeping himself motivated or he's reassuring himself because I would start to panic after a while writing all these books and realizing I'm wrong. Mm. Like maybe you get into kind of a like a little mental loop of like, no, 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 he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Maybe. I mean, he seems cool as a cucumber when you hear him give a sermon. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. He's very grandfatherly. He's 82 years old now. Oh, okay. Going strong, still preaching all the time with his little media empire. Did you know that his... his TV show seems to be syndicated pretty far, eh? I know it has a big reach. I don't know how big. I I saw it running in Oakland when we established he's down in San Diego, unless he moved around. But uh, to your point, I noticed that he was talking about the Left Behind series, and he says, Mm -hmm. now there's a new movie coming out 20 years after the original. It's like, don't you get the irony? (laughs) Don't you get it? 20 years have passed, but still no Jesus. Touche. And every now and then, he's had a lot of time, obviously, to think about how to phrase these things, and he seems to be very good at making this feel immediate for the audience. And I thought it was very sweet how he opened that introduction. You and I are privileged to stand on the cresting waves of prophecy, 
to live in a time closer to the return of Jesus Christ than any other generation in the history of the world. We see the signs of the times. We know the world is reaching a climactic point of unparalleled crisis. Wow. Yeah. Damn. One of my favorite books to recommend to people on this topic is A History of the End of the World by Jonathan Kirsch. And he just goes through major points in history. Of course, it's been constant since the time of Jesus that people have thought that the world is about to end, including people at the time of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And just one by one, you know, they build up a bunch of followers. You have like the Millerites uh, that followed William Miller. He did the same like date postponing. And out of him, we got the Seventh-day Adventists Mm -hmm. and we got the Jehovah's Witnesses as an offshoot. And then you have uh, the Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. Keith Green had Last Days Ministries. You know, they keep setting up these things where, oh, yeah, we're the last generation. Yeah. And going to be any moment. I remember as a child, we thought it was happening any day. Yep. I remember my college boyfriend feeling this very strongly, just saying, well, I've just always known my whole life that Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. My mother-in-law still, like, every now and then you'll remind her, you said that you weren't going to die. You were going to go in the rapture. And she'll be like, oh, yeah, that's true. Meanwhile, yeah. she's making preparations. I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> she's getting older. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, you know, there's the thought about burial and all of that. But but mm. wait, you said you're definitely going in the rapture. Do you bring this up when she's talking about her burial? No. Okay. <laughs> Smart. I'm not a jerk. <laughs> he makes some interesting points. I didn't try to fact check him on this because this is a strange thing to say. But he'll he'll make statements like, of the Bible concerns itself with prophecy. 27%. It's a lot. Is that right? Yeah, over a quarter. Well, that's how you define it. Like, he feels that certain passages in the first chapters of Genesis talking about Adam and Eve are already laying out the plan of salvation. Mm. So this, I think, is a very loose. Okay. A strain with a large mesh that lets a lot of things through. Yeah, he's like, I could make an argument for 100%, but that sounds too high. (laughs) Pull it back. Yeah. 27 seems plausible, but still... Still a minority. He doesn't tell us how he arrived at that number, but it's a big one. So a major part of the theology here is that uh, Christians will get a new, permanent, perfect body when Mm -hmm. they're called home by Jesus. He mentions in here a few times that if you have a disability, that's going to be restored. If you're old, you're going to be young again. Uh, Oh, yeah. There's Mm -hmm. always this this assumption of like, well, we all know what the perfect body would be. (laughs) So it's going to be good. You're going to be going back to that. Yeah. And this is one of those... Things that I think about that gets on my nerves, but I don't think it bothers Christians much. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you die when you're 12, well, then are you 12 forever in the afterlife? Right, right. If you die when you're 90, we all assume that you go back to your body of your 20s. Yeah, and what if you're Dick Van Dyke and you're like, 90 was great and I was an alcoholic in my 20s. What happens then? Good point. What happens then? Well, and you said uh, people who have uh, disabilities. Mm -hmm. He's got a little special section where he talks about whether they get raptured or not, or whether when they die, if they're assured of their heavenly destination. Oh, right. And so he believes, you know, if you never had that ability to make the decision, yeah, Mm. it's automatic. And so he says that for... Children. Children. Right. And he doesn't give us like an age of accountability or anything. Right. But he says, he basically makes the argument that if God is loving, he would have to excuse children because God isn't just some (laughs) jerk. I'm like, "Uh, okay, but the rest of your book, you've been arguing from scripture. 
And yeah, then this be, is just purely my subjective opinion yeah, of God's morality. Right. And be like, you know, I mean, I don't want to go all Richard Dawkins on everybody, but like I've read the Bible. It's not a nice God. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> and he'll tell the story about Jesus saying, suffer the children to come unto me. See, he loved children. So there's no way he would uh, let them die. Yeah. And when I was on the website, I noticed that there was a PDF that you could download. Will babies go to heaven? Oh, well, look at that. There's a baby on it. So I gave them my email address. And now I get a daily email from <laughs> D- Dr. David Jeremiah. And Great. I get a daily email that's kind of a little mini devotional from Turning Point Ministries. Thanks to downloading this PDF. But all of this info is in the book. He makes all the same arguments. Oh, okay. So is the argument just basically like, of course, God wouldn't let this happen. Yeah, because of God's loving kindness. Great. I also learned that if you have an abortion. Okay. If you have an abortion, when you get to heaven, you have to meet. He treats this as good news. You have to meet and take care of the kid. Like that becomes your child. Uh huh. Awkward. Again, just something he's totally intuited his way into. There's yeah, no, yeah. There's no scripture reference but for that. Also, like, what an awkward encounter. But I mean, the way he's saying it, if you really believe that, that any fetus that is aborted automatically gets entrance into heaven, that's kind of the best thing you can do right, for somebody. Right. It's an argument for abortion right. in that world. What yeah. Are you, what are you. Yeah, what, what's. What are you, what are, or uh, yeah like why even make children like if if children are already in heaven and heaven is the best place but you send them (laughs) down to earth and now they can get help why don't you just keep them up there part of me is thinking well i'm glad you don't really think that Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah Uh, so confusing (laughs) yeah mixed messages at least oh yeah you mean like they might like pull a king herod and like kill toddlers or something right oh Uh, right i'm not sure about this kid he seems really selfish you know what let's kill him now before he has agents and he would yeah you know, this be way he'll be certain to go to heaven oh, good point good point i mean it's one of those times i think well i'm glad you don't actually believe that yeah 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 that's um that's a good dystopia movie it's just kind of like with uh doing missionary work you go out and you tell people about jesus because not everybody's heard about jesus but uh, depending on how you handle these issues like before they hear about jesus they're just subject to like whether they kind of lived a good life or not right right the but, things that you would hope a god would judge these things on and now you've gone to their wherever and you've told them about jesus and now they're subject to being cast away from god's presence forever mm-hmm. where the worm dieth not because they rejected that but it's good news so i don't but i don't it's kind of bad news when the <laughs> missionary shows up because you're like Lowering everybody's chances of getting saved, right? (laughs) You're objectively going to have fewer people enter the kingdom of heaven. Anyways. Yep. No, you're right. One thing he talks about a lot is imminence, the doctrine of imminence of Christ's return. Oh, right. That's just another way of saying it could be any moment now. You just always need to be ready every moment of your life. Think about it all the time. Yeah, he also... Instead of more productive things. (laughs) He also knows that people have said Jesus' imminent return before, and then it hasn't been so quick. Uh So he makes the point that, well, technically imminent just means you fulfilled all of the prerequisites. Uh And so it can be any second. Now, does that mean now? No, it could mean in 5,000 years. But everything that needs to happen has happened. 
Yeah, this was an interesting take that I felt was something I hadn't quite heard put this way before, that there are no signs of the rapture. The rapture is, like you said, everything's been fulfilled that would lead up to the rapture happening. But he has this structure where you first have the rapture and all of the believers, both living and dead, are caught up and taken away from earth. Then you go into the seven-year period called the tribulation. Yes. And everything will be horrible, the the worst you can imagine. And he says that the signs that get interpreted like the wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and you know all of these things that people associate with the end times those are predictions of the tribulation not the rapture ah oh, clever okay. clever so it's like so all the christians will get sucked up and then there'll be some earthquakes uh, lots of earthquakes lots of wars and rumors of wars and you know all of this bad stuff with the antichrist and the mark of the beast and all of that now this is a particular thing called the pre-tribulation mm-hmm. rapture and some christians believe in the post-tribulation not Many that I know, I'm not even sure really there's a specific denomination that's post-trib, but I feel like everyone I've interacted with, all the Left Behind series and The Thief in the Night and all these other pieces of media all seem to be pre-tribulation. God takes his flock away, and that's a promise of avoiding this horrible time for that small sliver of believers who happen to be alive at that moment. And there is so much ink spilled in this book about that moment. Yes. And how much bedlam there will be on earth, how everyone who's left is just going to be totally asunder, trying to figure out what happened to their loved ones. Right. And and he keeps talking about how this will be the greatest mystery of all time. Yeah, what? There was a huge trumpet noise. Like everyone is going to be confused. What happened? Oh my goodness. And and I'm sure you'll have plenty to say about this too, but he starts out his chapters with these really bad uh, little pastor stories or anecdotes yes. that are so loosely tied to the point yes. of the actual chapter. Yes. Which is just a chapter, not a way to be rapture ready. And one of them was about Agatha Christie, and she was such a prolific mystery author. But when you think about it, the Bible (laughs) is the greatest mystery novel of all time. All time. Oh my God. And and so he's such cheap analysis. Absolutely. And it's so pastorly. It's like, you know, what you expect of pastor stories. The names of the innocent have been redacted. No, the names of everyone have been redacted because it's not about anybody. It's (laughs) clearly made up people. Or like church people do this to repeat some story that someone else told on the dais that you're like, oh, that was just perfect. That illustrates the point uh, perfectly. Now I have to tell Carrie exactly who said this. Oh, Anne Janine from Minnesota had Mm -hmm. this story where she sat on a plane next to a guy and it turned out he was a firefighter. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) I don't care. But, But the thing that really bugged me about that was... If this happened, let's say tomorrow everybody dis- or a good chunk of people disappear. He says millions or billions of people disappear. Uh, I think we're going to figure out what happened. We're all going to be like, oh, uh, wow, the rapture It really was real. happened. Okay. You know what? I take it all back. I'm sorry. Yeah. Y'all hear that huge trumpet? Y'all see your friend's bodies briefly flying to the sky? Yeah. Either flying to the sky or just disappearing or disappearing and then somehow reappearing up in the sky. I don't know. It's hazy. They don't really explain it well. <laughs> Yeah, it would, that's what I kept thinking. I was like, there wouldn't be mass confusion 
it would... We would immediately know what happened. Yeah. Every headline immediately would be like, ah, turns out the rapture Whoa, was real. Can you believe this? Boy, we all suck. We're still here. And and so many people would still be on Earth who had Christian viewpoints but didn't like walk the Christian walk mm-hmm. or whatever, right? There's supposed to be billions of those. So they'd all be like, oh, yeah, you know what? You guys, I should have listened to church, but let mm-hmm. me explain. That would be everywhere. In that trailer, you see people in church. Some of the people are still there. And it's to make the point. Yeah, not all quote yes. unquote Christians will be raptured. Yes, You'll have some alert. people still sitting in the pews because mm-hmm. they didn't have the right walk with God. Yep. Don't be that person. It's not like they're going to wonder, oh my goodness, that's so weird. What happened? Right. No, there's tons of people who know exactly what this plot is. And we've heard from many people who were freaked out at some point in their lives. And I know people who've been freaked out at some point in their lives because their parents went out and didn't mention it or or left their clothes sitting somewhere. And they're convinced, I missed the rapture. (gasps) Oh, my God. Oh, I've seen so many stories like this. (gasps) Really? Yeah, yeah. It scares people. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I just like, I wasn't young enough believing in the rapture to put this together. Yeah, I, I don't have any instance like that in my life where I... Didn't see other people and recall being like freaked out that the rapture had happened and that I'd missed it. But there are situations that could have made me think that way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it makes if you're told this is how it'll go. Yeah. And probably in your lifetime. (laughs) He sets up some questions that, that he refers to as very practical questions, such as, will children be raptured? We've already answered that. What will happen to our bodies at the moment of resurrection? What will our glorified bodies be like? Will we know each other after the resurrection? What will happen in the days and years immediately after we're raptured? What will happen to us? Will those left behind still have an opportunity to receive Christ as their Savior? So I had some additional questions. One was, how about when is a prophecy not fulfilled? Mm-hmm. How long? Falsifiability. Yeah. Yep. That doesn't come up. He doesn't talk about falsifiability. But of course, that is the hallmark of this whole setup. Right, right. There's no point at which you can say, well, guess it didn't happen. Let's move on. Right. And sometimes I think like how far in the future will there still be like a remnant of Christians around who are like any minute now? Oh, for sure. In 10,000 AD. I bet if there are humans around, they're still talking about Jesus. Yeah, I just, I I feel like at some point you'll have this future where it's just a small priestly class or something. So much fear of death in here. I know that won't surprise anyone, but Mm. just so many times that I just wrote fear of death in the- Interesting. In the margin. Because nominally they shouldn't be. Right. If this is all assured. Oh man, Talking about overwriting, there is a chapter where he's like, the rapture is mentioned three times in the Bible. Why three? <laughs> sure. And then for like Let's two drag pages, this out. he's like, oh, you know, it's a magical number in storytelling where you set up two. Oh, the rule of threes. The th- I was like, what? Am I a kindergartner? <laughs> Which was ironically the third chapter. Oh. Well played, sir. Is it though? Well played. Okay, yeah, see, page 74, he says, zap, no more quarterback, meaning like someone's just removed from the football field. Oh, uh-huh. Okay, what about the trumpet? Where's the trumpet? Carrie wants the trumpet. Okay. <laughs> I want a clear picture of what happens, which is what I was hoping for. So this bothered me, and I don't have the page right at hand to see my notes, but he took one passage, I think it was in Revelation, it said Jesus spoke in a voice that sounded like a trumpet. Okay. And then he tried to make it where the trumpet 
that's supposed to sound at the rapture is just Jesus's voice. It's like, no, 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 you're conflating things. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. like it. Stop yeah, yeah, it. yeah. This is like when people say that the word means Jesus and then they try to put Jesus anywhere. The Bible says the word word. But he does mention that there have been popular sightings. I guess sighting isn't the right word. Soundings of trumpets where people have said, we heard this giant trumpet sound and we thought it was Archangel. Oh, remember when that happened to you and me? Oh, yeah. I remember you getting really freaked out. We both kind of freaked out for a second, but then, you know, we were quickly recovered. We were recording at my old apartment on Carlton Way. I remember you saying like, oh, oh yeah. my goodness, that really... I mean, it like startled both of us. And then I was yeah. like... I was startled because it was a loud sound. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I think it was the rapture. Well, I, didn't think it was, I didn't think it was the rapture for more than a few seconds, but it okay. scared me. Okay. I was like, what the fuck? But it wasn't. We're still here. But there's this um, a kind of an urban legend thing. I haven't really looked closely into any of these, but yeah, there have been these places where people say, oh yeah, we all heard this loud trumpet sound and we thought it was the angel's trumpet blasting. And so he was buying into that, thinking it was maybe like an early rehearsal or something. Perhaps you've read about the strange phenomena occurring around the world as people report hearing eerie sounds of trumpets. This has mm. been going on since 2008 when a video was posted yes, by this happened to me. someone in Belarus. Yes. <laughs> yeah, one has to assume that it's just <laughs> once you've heard a story about a trumpet and how it's going to end humanity, then if you hear a trumpet, mm -hmm. that's one option. Yeah, or just some loud sound that's vaguely in the realm. Uh, apparently now it's been... Reported in the U.S., Canada, Costa Rica, Russia, the Czech Republic, Australia, and other places. I was surprised he mentioned that because it's just like nothing's come of it. It seems to be kind of oh, good point. something <laughs> misinterpreted yeah, good point. or mass hysteria or what. Yeah, here are some people who falsely thought Jesus was back. Anyway, he's coming back. One thing it said on the website was that you can read one chapter in six minutes. So it'll take you no time to get through this. <laughs> I mean, you could, yeah. Yeah, so I started timing myself on every chapter. And what I would start doing is I would like read through quickly and maybe underline a few things, but then I'd go back and take all my notes, mm -hmm. which was counterproductive. Might as well just take your notes as you're reading. So I could get through a chapter in five or six minutes, seven minutes. It's like, all right, this checks out. But then later on, I would just read it at my normal pace and writing things in the margins and stuff. Definitely mark this book up. And uh, it would be more like 12 minutes sometimes. 20 minutes. Anyways, if you go through without really thinking too hard, sure, six minutes is a good accurate. Uh, yeah, you're certainly not like dealing with heavy material here. Indeed. Love a bad metaphor. Okay. So on page 77, he quotes from a book called The King is Coming by Harold Wilmington, who says this, a man is cleaning out his garage and discovers a small box filled with a mixture of tiny iron nails, wooden splinters, sawdust, and pieces of paper. Suppose he desires to save only the nails. How could he quickly separate them from the wooden splinters? If a magnet was available, the task would be quite simple. And then he explains how you would pull the magnet across the top and the nails would come up. Mm -hmm. And then he says, when Christ appears, he will not come especially for black or white people, for Catholics or Protestants, for Jews or Gentiles, but for those individuals who possess the same nature as himself. The task would be quite simple. He would simply position the magnet over the box. Immediately, all those objects possessing the same physical nature would be caught up to meet the magnet in the air. And then he compares that to Jesus. Sure. And then he says it's because the individuals who possess the same nature as Jesus would be magnetically pulled up to Jesus. But I was like, that's not magnets. Magnets attract things that are different. But it's an analogy and it's supposed to be good enough for you. Yeah. 
Why even argue from analogy if the analogy's wrong? Yeah, he's quoting uh, someone else's book there. But yeah, he says, when Christ appears, he will not come especially for black or white people, for Catholics or Protestants, for Jews or Gentiles. And I thought, did anybody question this? Like, yeah. wh- why do you need to say that? Right. But also, it would be the opposite nature. If it's a magnet. Lots of bad analogies, for sure. Right after that, he wrote, we'll be drawn to him, caught up by his magnetic rapturous power, and then we will ever magnify our savior. Mm. And I underlined that and said, wow, that's cultish. Just that it's, you know, that's not how people use English in normal life. Mm. Ever magnify our savior. Mm. That is that Very is Christianese. Very Christian. He tells us so many times that this will only happen for the real believers, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we mean the real believers, not just Christians in general, like, you know, the ones who really stand by Jesus. He goes on about that for so long. And then on page 90, <laughs> he's like, we've explored the what and why of the rapture in many ways and from many angles throughout these pages. Yet it would be a mistake for us to ignore the who, The rapture will be restricted only to those living or dead who carry the passport called Christ. I was like, ignore the who? Like, you've been doing this for a hundred pages. You've been telling me the who. Mm -hmm. Just Christians, just Christians, just Christians. It's so repetitive. Yeah, we know. And again, you've got your analogy to the passport. Lots of analogies. (laughs) Yeah. That's what you got to do when things aren't real. You've got to make connections to real world things. It says in the very beginning that all the references are from the New King James Version, unless Mm. otherwise designated. He uses a lot of different versions of the Bible. I'm always suspicious of that. That tells me that you're picking the ones that sound best for the point you're trying to make. Yeah. For a while, I was looking up every single reference he used to see how well it checked out. And a couple times I saw something where like, okay, that's not actually referring to this end times prophecy. That's an earlier prophecy. Uh, But for the most part, he was faithfully representing the intent of the Bible, I'd say. There is a part in chapter 13 where he talks about some family called the Lily family that I guess has a huge annual reunion in Flat Rock, West Virginia. Yeah. So for the longest time, they've been inviting people whose last or first name is Lily to come to this event. And now it's just become a big event in the town and people can come. It's still called the Lily family reunion. Right. They don't but have to be Lilies, come. right? Okay. So as he's explaining this, he says... But there's one there's one difference between that and God's family reunion. In a spirit of generosity, <laughs> yeah. the Lily family reunion welcomes all, even those not named Lily or having a direct connection with the family. But that won't be true at the Rapture family reunion. Only those who have <laughs> taken the name of Christ, only those who are Christians or Christ ones will be invited to attend the reunion of Christ's family at the rapture. So God is not <laughs> So God is, is not as, not as inclusive as the, as the Lily family. Yep. <laughs> they are more inclusive and welcoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of things that just when you try to picture them don't really compute. He was talking about how once we are raptured, how amazing and wonderful it will be. We'll all be with Jesus and we'll all greet him and talk to him. and It'll be so exciting. And I'm thinking that's one long greeting line. Uh-huh. Can you imagine like, because what if he has, let's say, like a, a two minute interaction with each person mm-hmm. and what your number five million eighty three yeah, have that Santa problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 So do you get mall Jesus's uh-huh, to right. essentially diffuse this? You should do that. 
That's just a tip. Just line up for the multiple Jesuses. You know, if you can be three in one, why not? One of my favorite depictions of meeting Jesus, of course, is in Mysteries of the Kingdom of God. <laughs> yeah. Where he meets Jesus. Andrew. And, yeah, and says like, he says something like, hey, Jesus, how's it going? Yeah, you're right. That's his uh, profound, uh, yeah, probably later on, he's it. kicking himself like, stupid, stupid, <laughs> stupid. I finally meet Jesus. And that's all that comes to mind. Hey, Jesus. How are you doing? I sat next to Miley Cyrus once at the Bourgeois Pig, and I was- I don't know what any of that means. Well, I know- <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard of Miley Cyrus. Okay. The Bourgeois Pig is a coffee shop in LA that actually I think might have might be gone now. But Wrecking I, ball got to it. But I sat next to Miley, and I love Miley Cyrus's music, and I, ah. I was like, oh my God, it's Miley Cyrus. And then I thought, like, do I have anything to say to her? And the only words I could think of were, I love you. And I was like, don't say I love you. Oh, you got yourself. <laughs> don't don't profess your love to a stranger. Sure. You got to not. So, yeah. okay, do you have something else? Then I was like, no. You could say, I love your work. Yep. Nope. nope. Didn't okay. have that. All right. Well, Didn't at least, have any of at least that. you caught yourself. Yeah. And- so, stupid, anyway, if you're stupid, out there. Stupid. Out there, I love you. Uh, not too far away, I once saw Weird Al at oh, yeah. Doomy's Next Mex, mm-hmm. a great vegan Mexican place. And uh, he was just there, like the only other person in the restaurant besides the guy at the counter. And uh, so I ordered my food, and then I leaned over and said something to the effect of, I love you. I just, <laughs> I just say, I'm a huge fan of your work. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, I need to go sit somewhere where he can't see me <laughs> so he can keep checking his phone and not have like me staring at him sure. in a pretty yeah. small restaurant. Sure. And and then the cashier leans around the corner and says, that goes for me too. Aww, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was cute. Sweet. Uh, I just got to point out in the chapter three, the rule of threes, where he's telling mm. us about how that's so great for storytelling. And sure, yes, rule of threes is a real thing, but <laughs> yeah. it is noxious the way he describes it. He makes reference to Jesus's parables and how he uh, used the rule of three, like uh, in the Good Samaritan story. First, you've got a priest who walks by, then a Levite, but then the Samaritan actually is the one that helps. Okay, great. But the next sentence, he says, in Jesus's parable of the sower, he described the good soil as that which produces a crop, some 30 fold, some 60 and some 100. Hello, the (laughs) parable of the sower has four types of soil. You have the hard soil, you have the rocky soil, you have the thorny soil, and the good soil. Okay. Anyways, I'm just like, it doesn't use the rule of three. You're pointing out one. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. Jesus used the rule of four there, and you're pointing out some really small aside from that. Like, just don't mention that parable. Yeah. It's awkward. Don't talk in parables then. Even your staff doesn't understand them. (laughs) It doesn't make your point. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Thank you, Julia. Speaking of parables. Later on, he'll bring up the parable of the ten virgins. Mm, okay. And boy, do I have thoughts on that. Okay. But I'm not. Not there. now. I well, I'm just I, I don't know where I left my notes. Well, you know what? You would know where they were if you had a Squarespace website. Oh, I wish I had a Squarespace website. Wait a second, we do. We do, but it doesn't have that information, but it could. Because a Squarespace website can have any kind of information that you want. Yeah, I can't think of any information I could not put on a Squarespace website. Yeah. I mean, there are things you could put there that would get you in trouble. Mm -hmm. But your fingers would keep going and you'd push publish and there it would be. (laughs) Indeed. You're talking about Squarespace. You you thinking about websites? Oh, yeah. I love websites. But I especially like all-in-one platform building websites. 
Oh, so you can build your brand and grow your business online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I found that Squarespace really allows me to stand out with like a really beautiful website. And I love to engage my audience and I love to sell things, products, content, even my own time. Well, you might be happy to know, maybe you know this. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. I've noticed that about our website, which has been a Squarespace website for... Low these many years. 12 years. Yeah. So we're, we're walking the walk. There's also Squarespace extensions, so you can connect your store to vetted third-party tools to extend the functionality of said website. And with Fluid Engine, a next-generation website design system from Squarespace, it's never been easier for... For anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity, start with a best-in-class website template and customize every single design detail with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. You've heard us talk about Squarespace. It's a website for making other websites, mm-hmm. which means you don't need any of like the tools. You don't have to download software and update it. It's all there. It's mm-hmm. on the website. It's in your browser. It works in all the major browsers. It's streamlined. It's fancy. Stop making your mom build you a website. You can do this yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know you're convinced. That's why you should head to squarespace.com slash oh no for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ONO, O-H-N-O, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. The end of the world is coming. But you've got time to make a website. Folks, we get it. Keeping up with an actual play podcast in this economy is a tough sell. That's why we have great news for you. The Adventure Zone is changing up its format. We're going to be doing some shorter seasons, more experimental stuff. There's never been a better time to get on board the zone. And if you're sick of listening to our voices, we get that too. So we're including some guests Uh, on this upcoming one. We've got Kate Welch and Gabe Hicks, who are incredible. And you want us to try out some new games? You got it. We've got the new Marvel Multiverse RPG. We're using that and with a really brilliant GM doing it. It's dad. What he's saying is it's dad. Dad is doing it. It's dad doing it. You can listen every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. As we've been saying, we, we were writing in our books. So I was constantly underlining things. So I see here, as a result, the Thessalonians were gripped by the reality of Christ's return. And I wrote an arrow from that and said, wasn't real for any of them. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, they spent their lives just so ready for this. Oh, it's going to be any minute. And these are first century people. Mm-hmm. It, it just seems like a waste. We always uh, hear about Pascal's wager. Mm -hmm. This whole idea that you have this like simple two by two grid where there's either a God or there's not Mm -hmm. on one axis. And then you either believe in him or you don't on the Mm -hmm. other axis. Christians will make this argument, which already has a problem. Like if you're just doing this based on a game theory calculation, you think Jesus would see through that. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, he's just believing in me because he thinks it's good for his odds. But the idea is even if there isn't a God, but you believe in him, you don't really lose anything. But I always think, you lose a yes, lot. Yes, you do. <laughs> you lose so much you of totally your life. Do. He's telling us to think about this when we get up in the morning and when we go to bed. There's so much thought real estate. That's the one resource we can't buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your time is really important and how you use it, especially if there's only one life. Right, right. And both options, you want to maximize your pleasure and joy for mm-hmm. as long as you will last. Yeah. And if... The amount of time that you will last is 80 years, fine. And if the time that you will last is eternal, fine. 
But like the question is, what will 100% be? You know, is 100% mm-hmm. going to be 80 years or is it going to be eternal years? You can't skip that question before you make this analysis. I think a Christian would hear what you're saying and be like, well, that bigger amount of time, that's eternal. So it's worth doing everything you can in this very small amount of time to make sure mm-hmm. you end up there. Right. Store up your treasures in heaven, as right. they say. But that would, and then I'd be like, that's bonkers. <laughs> well, I'm saying we both want to protect the only life we've got. It's the one we know for sure we have. Right. Yeah. Another problem with the whole Pascal's wager thing is it's not just two by two. There's lots of other beliefs out there. Right. I can just invent like a harsher God and a longer forever. Yeah. Like, well, actually, my God, who you need to believe in, he has two eternities and he's meaner and more indicative than yours. So now you need to believe in mine. <laughs> yeah, and we have other ones on this planet of people who really believe them. So what if person number three is right? Then both of us are out of luck. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You can do this forever. There was another passage where he was talking about how the prophecy tells us it'll be just as in the days of Noah, you know, where everybody's just living for themselves, they're mm. selfish and greedy and horrible. And I think, Rainy. well, there's a reason every generation since first century Palestine, people have thought this applies to them because it's always the case. You can always point to people being selfish and horrible sure. and yeah. wars. And, you know, there's technically less war than there was at any point in the past. Anyways, I just see that argument and I think, okay, but when wouldn't you have said that in history? Right. Actually, things are going great right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Theoretically, they all want to hasten the end. So you think that people who believe this would be voting for the leaders that they think are evil mm -hmm. because that would bring this all to fruition much sooner. Yeah. If you really believe Biden is the Antichrist, vote for Biden. Right, right. But for some reason, it's forbidden. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they wouldn't want to be the guy who votes, though. Hmm. But it must. Because you're going to be counted among Such things must come, but woe unto him through whom they come. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) He does, like Ken Ham, make the analogy, right now, the door to salvation is wide open, just like the door of the ark. Mm. Yeah. Famously closed. Well, it was open when it was letting all the animals in. Yeah, Now's that's your chance true. to get in. Two by two. Uh, so that is a big question that he raised earlier, which was, can you still gain salvation during the tribulation if you don't get raptured? Yes. Yes. Yes, you can. Yeah, he says, yes, you can, but A, you're going to be suffering a bunch because the tribulation's going to suck. And B, you just won't have as much assurance of your salvation because you're going to really have to prove it Mm. once. I mean, once all of the globe is aware that Jesus is Lord, you're really going to have to prove it. You're not going to be able to just be like, I go to church. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's another argument that really annoyed me is that he was making the point that we all think Jesus should have arrived or like, oh, why hasn't he arriven? You know, we might ask those questions. But if he had come back 100 years ago, well, then I want to be here and I got to live and I'm so glad. I'm great. I'm so glad. And he even uses the word delayed. I'm so glad that God has delayed oh, wow. all of this because, you know, that gave oh, me a yeah. chance to meet my wife and have this wonderful marriage. And I'm thinking, you got to cut it off somewhere. Mm-hmm. When are you going to do it? Why are you waiting for a certain number of souls? Mm-hmm. Why are you delaying? Yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount of narcissism there, too. You know, this this idea right. that, like, I'm going to be there. It's me. Of all these generations of Christians, <laughs> yeah. I'm in the final one. Every generation falls for it. Yeah, yeah. We're the special one. Mm-hmm. We're chosen. It's going to happen now, any moment mm-hmm. now. 
in the same way, he was talking about how God has to come back. This is the righteous thing he has to do to cleanse the mm-hmm. earth because he just can't stand sin. He can't abide the rule of sin in the world. I'm thinking, well, he's a abidden it. Mm-hmm. He's abided mm-hmm. it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Why? What's he waiting for? You have to draw the line somewhere. Right. And he's been a pretty hands-off God for some time. Yeah. Hurry up and come back mm-hmm. then if you can't abide this. Why? <laughs> what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Doesn't make sense. So I didn't read the latter half of this book. So does he take any big zags? Is he like, oh, by the way, here's an interesting take on the rapture that you haven't heard before? The, again, little elements, uh, but nothing immediately comes to mind like whoa you really saved this thank gosh why is this so pop is it just like it's just the moment it's just christians paying for stuff honestly i think it's the little cottage industry that he's created of these books that are highly anticipated i think that trailer did a lot mm-hmm. i think he just got a lot of buzz around this and this is just the right atmosphere at this moment to capture people's fear and paranoia and kind of willingness to believe things that aren't supported. I'm sorry, I'm just now noticing that you have a blue and black dress that looks a lot like the one that uh, went all meme-like. Remember when people debated whether it was blue and black or that white and gold? That dress is white and gold. <laughs> <laughs> it totally looks like that. Anyway, sorry, that's behind no, does, Carrie's head, and I just now noticed it. Drew's mother gave me that. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah, you can start internet debates with it. I now can just see it both ways. I don't know what it is. I can't go back to a white and gold, which I did initially see. Oh, wow. But once I saw it as blue and black, I couldn't unsee it. Whoa, cool. Weird. Brains are weird. Yanni or Laurel? Uh, I can't remember what I thought now. I think I'm Laurel when I last looked, but it's partly an age thing. So let's see if I still am. Yep. Yanni. I hear Laurel. Me too. Laurel. Yanni. But when I try to hear Yanni, I can hear it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I can't go back to seeing white and gold, but I can go back to... Oh, yeah, I just heard Yanny. Yep. I can totally flip back and forth on it. Yeah, I don't hear the Yanny at all. So, okay, so here's an interesting point that he makes that I hadn't really thought of before. Distinguishing between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, your rapture is uh, not Jesus actually setting foot on earth again. He's going to stay up in the sky. Mm -hmm. We're all going to meet him up there. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, I'm picturing a globe in my head. Maybe the authors of the Bible weren't or were. I don't know. But when you picture them all gathering in one spot, where is it? Is it over Europe? Is it over the Mount of Olives? Mm-hmm. You know, what happens to people from Australia? They blink out of existence and reappear over Jerusalem? Or do they get hurtled through the air and hopefully, like, don't hit a bird on the way? I picture it as above space. Above space. Okay, but now they can't breathe, but I guess they've got uh, these new bodies. Yeah, they have new bodies. So, okay, maybe you blink out of existence and then your atoms get reconfigured into the new body. He talks a lot about the new body you're going to get mm-hmm. and how it's going to be like this perfect idealized body. That, yes. And this is such wish fulfillment stuff, you know, just that like it can't be corrupted. It'll never grow old. Right. You there's, can do anything. There's real sad moments in here where he's like, so-and-so's kid died, but, you know, because of heaven, they know that they're going to see their kid again. Mm. Uh, uh, it's just... <laughs> It's one of those moments of like, well, you're kind of giving away the motivation, but I don't feel right like uh, taking it away from that grieving mother. Mm. He says, I have tried to bring understanding to this subject by using a little mathematical formula. If you have been born only once, you will have to die Mm. twice. Yes. But if you have been born twice, you will have to die only once. 
And you may even escape that one death if Jesus returns to the earth during your lifetime. Yeah. Regularly, he acknowledges, yeah, we may die and not see it. Mm-hmm. And he refuses to, like, he's learned the lesson of how Lindsay, without acknowledging it, that you don't name a date or time. So you won't find that in this book. Yeah. And he says that at the beginning. He's like, I won't be giving you dates. I really want to find some method to get people to put their money where their mouths are. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if X amount of time goes by and this doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, will you give me this amount of money and sign a contract for it? Or even. Upon your death, can I own your stuff? Because like Jim Underdown has done this uh, from the Center for Inquiry, the CFIIG. uh, He runs that group, a friend of ours. Anyways, he had this really clever little deal where he got people to, uh, oh, I don't know how many people actually took him up on it, but he had this open offer for Christians to offer him things that they would leave behind in the rapture, Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of make a contract that he'd get it for (laughs) pennies on the dollar. Clever idea. Speaking of what you were saying about people losing family members, Mm -hmm. this was a really sad passage. And I remember you sent it to me as you were reading it. Second, death is a shadow, not a reality. David Mm. called it the valley of the shadow. As Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse was driving home from the funeral of his first wife, he and his children were overcome with grief. Yeah. They lost this story. I remember this story. They lost the wife and mother. Okay. As he sought some word of comfort for his kids, A huge moving van passed them, and its shadow swept over the car. Dr. Barnhouse said, Children, would you rather be run over by a truck or by its shadow? The shadow, of course, said one of his children. It's harmless. Two thousand years ago, said the father, the truck ran over the Lord Jesus in order that only its shadow might run over us. What on earth? Why would you say this to your kids on the way home for their mother's funeral? Why? What does this have to do with anything? That's a really small comfort. It's so bizarre. Dad, that's a bad analogy. Yeah. (laughs) This still hurts. Can you pull over? You don't seem well. (laughs) (laughs) This is an issue he doesn't bring up that I'd love to ask Dr. David Jeremiah about. Okay. And that's how God deals with incomplete bodies. Because he talks Hmm. about how, as it says in 1 Thessalonians, the dead in Christ will rise first. Mm-hmm. So that means everybody who's already died will pop up out of their graves. They'll be caught up in the air. Then the rest of us will follow. Right. So he's talking about people whose bodies are resting in cemeteries. Okay. What about uh, believing Christians who fell in the ocean and got eaten up by fish? Oh, sure. Or who have been cremated? Mm-hmm. My mom does not want to be cremated because she wants her body to be ready for when Jesus comes back. Wow. But uh, it's been a couple thousand years. The atoms from those bodies are now in other bodies. You're too worried about atoms. It's just going to be like the soul. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the soul leaves the body. Okay. Then God's like, I have a memory of basically what Carrie looks like at her hottest. I'm going to (laughs) like fabricate like a basic. But the brain when it's the smartest. Yes, yes, yes. And then, um, so he's like, okay, I guess both of those are 40 and a half. And so then he makes me in my current state. Okay. Puts my soul back. So then it doesn't matter that you get cremated, does it? Yeah, exactly. Right. But for many people, this is an issue. Yeah, they're wrong. The body needs to be in some kind of uh, state of preservation. Body doesn't keep the score. Oh, yeah. He like razzes people who don't believe for 
trying to pretend like death doesn't exist. And I'm like, what? This, this book is pretending death doesn't exist. Yeah, totally. He's razzing us for saying death doesn't exist. Death exists. <laughs> <laughs> what a strange uh, straw man. Yeah, it says here, how often in our culture do we pretend death doesn't exist? Oh, I and see. And then okay. like two paragraphs later, he says, Paul asked, Oh, death, where is your sting? (laughs) Right. It's like, that's pretending death (laughs) doesn't exist. That's how often in our culture. Yeah. I mean, there's denialism around death, but, you know, it's usually in the form of like not wanting to think about someone dying. Right. Yeah. And uh, call the fact that you die. Call in the kettle black. Oh, I love this. In other words, God always planned for the church to be multinational, to include both Jews and Gentiles, but he kept the plan secret until after the resurrection of Christ. Why? Huh. Why keep that plan secret? Why have a chosen people for big chunk of history and then be like, guess what? Mm-hmm. I had a plan for all humanity. I'm not just a local God. Right. Why? Why? Did you know our new bodies will be incapable of sickness or death? Yeah. Yeah. That's the impression I keep getting. And that our new bodies will be identifiable by all who knew us on earth. Wow, that's not even always true when you identify a corpse. Yeah, there seems to be this idea that somehow there will be this version of you and it will have a look and I guess it'll be distinct from all the other people. Mm -hmm. But there will be something special by which people will like recognize you, like your vibe, man. Mm -hmm. That seems to be like the feeling I get like, oh, that's so Carrie. Mm -hmm. I can't put my finger on it, but I know that's Carrie. Carrie's essence. Mm -hmm. Well, I know you're still flipping through the great disappearance. May I, uh, while you're looking, tell you about invasion of other gods? Do it. So this one is about New Age spirituality, and it's from 1995. Okay. And he wrote this with Carol Carlson, famous maybe kidnapped herself. Fascinating. Um, This came just yesterday, so I haven't read very much of it. But in the acknowledgments, they acknowledge Bob and Gretchen Passantino. Do you know who they are? Nope. They were the journalistic couple who exposed Lauren Stratford who wrote Satan's Underground, a pseudographia book about her being in a satanic cult. She pretended to have grown up in a satanic cult and then later pretended to be a Holocaust survivor. Oh, no. So they get some of their knowledge of the occult from these fakers? No. Bob and Gretchen Passantino are the cornerstone (gasps) journalists who busted Lauren Stratford. Oh, good for them. Yeah. Doing the actual Lord's work. So Bob and Gretchen are acknowledged in this. So Bob and Gretchen, who I think of as sort of sober voices. Good for them. Apparently knew David Jeremiah. Got it. Interesting. There was a story about a flight mysteriously disappearing. And so I instantly went to look for the Skeptoid episode about it (laughs) uh, because uh, Brian- This is the one with a funny name like Foxtrot or- Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. The call sign was Foxtrot 94. And uh, this was in 1970. Apparently he saw an unidentified object and went to go investigate it, but then was only found later at the bottom of the water without him in it. The canopy was never Mm -hmm. opened. Mm -hmm. So what happened to him? So I I checked with Brian directly because I didn't find a Skeptoid episode. And Brian's like, I've never heard of it. So maybe maybe a future Skeptoid episode. Well, he David Jeremiah mentions like, well, now there's a theory that when he hit the water, the top of it just like clunked back on the top of the plane. That was one of the theories. Yeah. Reasonable. Sure. Yeah. Another 
point he mentioned uh, a UFO conspiracy and he's saying, I'm not saying it's aliens. I'm thinking, oh, I'm glad you have a line that you're willing to draw somewhere. <laughs> that reminds me of one of my repressed memory therapists for the trauma projects. Okay. He told me that he doesn't believe in government mind control. So that's off the wall, but then was very happy to talk about like witchcraft abuse that I had survived when I was nine. You pick your your beliefs, I guess. I guess so. Okay, so an invasion of other gods, uh, similar to what you were saying about how every generation feels like, oh, things are getting worse. Mm -hmm. So this is from 1995, and he writes, those of the baby boomer generation now in their 30s and 40s make up close to one out of two households, and many are frightened about the future. They see their children being exposed to more immorality, violence, choking their cities, and government eating their dollars. <laughs> Yeah, I think those are constants in life. Like every older generation thinks that the younger folks are just, uh, the kids aren't all right. Mm -hmm, uh, right. The world's falling apart. These people aren't serious. And in the same way, every generation thinks things have never been worse than they are right now. Right. And and to flip it on its head, like every younger generation thinks like, oh, these old guys are so outmoded. They don't get it <laughs> like I do. I won't be just like them in 40 years. <laughs> right, right. Or like, I don't have anything to learn from them just because mm -hmm. they've been here longer. Hey, I've got a call to action here. So he writes... Some people question using the word rapture because the term is not in the Bible. Okay, he concedes that. But 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, we will be caught up, quote unquote. The Greek word Paul used was harpazo. When mm, the New Testament mm -hmm. was rendered into Latin, the translators used the word raptura, which means to catch up or snatch up. From this, we get our word rapture, which, okay, that was new info for me. Interesting. But I'm going to say, why don't we start referring to the rapture as the Harpazo? Yeah, it's a better name. Yeah. Better name. All right, everybody. Let's do it. Harpazo. And like, are you ready for the Harpazo? It sounds like something that comes after your pizza. And it's like um, Harpo, which is Oprah backwards. Yes. With an A-Z added. Well, that's like her business is yeah. Harpo. Okay. Yeah. Harp that's how you can remember it. But with an okay. A-Z right there, the Alpha and Omega. Harpazo. At the time that he was writing this book, he believes that the new spirituality is the greatest threat to the Christian worldview today. Okay, I'm not now sure. Now that if, just feels so outmoded. Yeah, you know? I'm not sure if he listed a new greatest threat in uh, The Great Disappearance. Yeah, this all feels so dated now. You know, like there's sure. just this hand-wringing about crystals and transcendental meditation and just stuff that, you know, at the time to Christians obviously felt like a really big mm -hmm. deal and heralding some big change. And now it's just like, oh, I kind of remember these names. Oh, yeah, I guess we were kind of talking about this in 1995. Right. And there will be millions of copies of this book 40 years from now. And no one will care about that because they'll be reading some other new book about mm -hmm. the rapture and or the harpazo rather, <laughs> because that will have caught on by then and how it is imminent. Uh, this was interesting. He quoted a section from Hal Lindsey's book, The Late Great Planet Earth. He's quoted lots of people, but there was a passage he used here and I had to go look in the back just to see that he was quoting Tim LaHaye. And it was just weird. Like, why aren't you saying that you're quoting Tim LaHaye rather than just... Oh, like footnoting it? Yeah. He said, I read a paragraph recently that created this vivid picture. And then he shares a long mm -hmm. paragraph from Tim LaHaye. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered at that moment, like, did he realize that he kept quoting the same, like, three people mm -hmm. over and over Maybe. again? C.S. Lewis, Tim LaHaye, Hal Lindsey, C.S. Lewis, Tim LaHaye. 
I also liked how he had just very few charts in this book. It's mostly just writing. There's no like illustrations or anything. Every now and then he has a chart and he gives us the rapture sequence, the return, the resurrection, the rapture, the redemption, the reunion. Mm, and those are all ours. For each one, he gives a verse. And for number three, the rapture, and number five, the reunion, the scripture verse is exactly the same. It's First Thessalonians 4.17. I just thought it was funny. Just seemed a little out of sequence. The impulse to make everything an R or make everything like rhyme and stuff, it's such a destructive way to teach. Oh, yeah, because every time, you know, liar, lunatic, lord, you end up just not choosing an ideal word because you're really fighting to make this happen. Exactly. The the seven seas of creation, as Answers in Genesis does it, and and now I'm fighting to remember a specific one, compromise, you know, like, that kind of fits. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, like, if you need to make a list like that, don't worry, we'll figure out how to remember it later. We'll uh-huh. figure out the mnemonic device. Just pick the best word. Yeah. We'll work with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when it's like a list of seven like this one, you're not going to memorize it anyway. He has a comparison of John 14 with First Thessalonians 4 in a chart. And so he says, look at this. They're like addressing the exact same things. The problem, the point, the proclamation, the promise, the purpose, the plan. The place. Okay. Great. Good job. Ooh, C.S. Lewis. Yeah? Yeah, we got C.S. Lewis in Invasion of Other Gods. That's so funny you say that. I was just looking on this page at a mention of C.S. Lewis. Oh, wow. He loves C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis comes up a lot. I assume most of you are familiar with him, author of the Chronicles of Narnia and also a theologian. Screw tape letters. The Great Divorce. Hmm? My wife is dying and it hurts a bunch. <laughs> A Grief Observed. A Grief Observed. I read that one. I did too. I read about one C.S. Lewis book a year, it seems. Oh, wow. He also wrote the the Space Trilogy. Mm. I read that one in high school. Okay. Yeah, Paralandra. It was set on other planets, and you have like this wildly alive and populated Venus. And then later on, I learned that Venus was like this oven of a planet, you know, Uh where nothing lives. I never got into Narnia. You and Kara. Kara feels very proud that she recognized as a child that it was not great literature. Because I read each of the books at least four times as a kid. Oh, okay. I mean, just like fantasy, that kind of fantasy. Oh, sure. That's right. It's not even up your aisle in the first place. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, he's talking here about how it's interesting that C.S. Lewis visualized the possibility of someone disappearing on Earth and suddenly being in another world when talking about the Chronicles of Narnia. And he's trying to say like, so interesting that he had this thought that you also find in scripture. And it's like, yeah, he was a theologian. Yeah, he's reading the same thing you're reading. He had a lion that was Jesus lion that, you know, gets killed for everybody's sins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, he's going to be influenced by his own faith. Dr. David Jeremiah just missed the uh, causal arrow in which direction it was pointing in that case. It's so much keeping busy. These people just read like the same 10 books over and over and like find new meaning from the same old stuff. Yeah, it's just it's kind of a bummer. Like I'm like, I've learned so much since I thought like this and (laughs) you're still writing the same book. Right, because these are smart people. Mm-hmm. Who but, believe yeah, this? But maybe, yeah. it's kind of a, a mind wasted. Yeah. Endlessly trying to, you know, and maybe some people choose to be scholars of the Bible. That's great. That should be sure. a, an approach. There are some people who are scholars of the Iliad or the Odyssey. You know, that's great. But not this many people. Yeah, dude. My old 
Youth Pastor Mike, who I've mentioned a bunch of times, super brilliant person, teaches at Princeton. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the smartest people I've ever met and a Christian and reads like, you know, a hundred books a year, like reads a bunch, is a scholar. Mm -hmm. But when he writes about it, at least it's interesting stuff. It's not (laughs) this. Yeah. It's new ideas. Yeah. Having come from that community where everybody just all the time was talking about one book and reading books about that book. Yeah. Once you get out of that, Books are so exciting. I remember mm. like, whoa, this is science. Oh my goodness, it's so compelling because <laughs> like people are actually looking at all these different things and thinking about hard problems and gathering info. Oh my, wow, there's such a much bigger world out there yeah. intellectually than I, what I was getting fed. I remember seeking out these apologetics books that made me feel like I was getting my questions answered because I had so much angst, you know, and I mm-hmm. needed like a smart Christian to be like, no, 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 I still believe and mm-hmm. I have these questions too. And here are the answers. But I would seek those out so judiciously. I was so looking for like, who can both quell this thirst for knowledge and not expose me to so much knowledge that I feel nervous? Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I need to know before I even crack this book open that you're going to lead me back to Jesus. Right, right. Okay, you may be standing a little near the edge, but we're not going to get that close to yeah. it. Yeah. Interesting. Y- you only live here because you know that there are people like me who need you, but, but that's you're going to redirect me. The importance of the C.S. Lewis's and the William Lane Craig's, you know, we can say, oh, well, they've they've considered this, but they've come back over here to tell us, don't worry, it mm-hmm. all works out. Don't worry, I'm very smart and I'm back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's totally totally it. Uh, There was an interesting chapter about other raptures that have happened in the Bible. Oh, right. Because there have been some people who were raptured. Who have been taken up. They they never died. So Enoch is one of them. Mm -hmm. He only lived to 365 years. Embarrassing. (laughs) In the time that people were living over 700 because, yeah, he walked with God, and at some point, God took him away. Oh, yeah, uh, that's not explained well in this book, but anyway. The same with Elijah, the prophet. Uh-huh. Uh, he was taken up in a fiery chariot. Bomb. Jesus Christ himself was raptured. Probably. Well, you know, he went up into the clouds, as C.S. Lewis thought was very embarrassing. Uh, the rapture of Paul. This was interesting. I never thought of it this way. Now, this wasn't how he ended his life, but he was taken up to the third heaven. And he talks about like a little mini vision he has up there. Now, does David Jeremiah at all deal with the fact that Paul said the third heaven? And what does that mean that there's a third heaven? You know, it's very interesting. Do you know about the rule of threes? (laughs) I love this. Yeah, like, you know, the Mormons can use that as, uh, see, there's multiple levels of heaven. Yeah. But he was describing it and he said he was caught up using that word, Harpazo, remember? Ah, That's what we're calling the rapture now. Harpazo. So he got, you know, it was like a near-death experience. He got taken back to Earth. But I don't know. Then do you call every near-death experience a little mini Harpazo? Little little rapture? Right. Good point. This was a total cheat. He said the rapture of the two witnesses. This hasn't happened yet, but there's these characters in Revelation called the two witnesses. And this was interesting. It's us. Oh, you and I? Probably. Okay. Or Elijah and Moses. Okay. So he tells us they're going to come back and they'll be raptured up. Damn. Okay. During the tribulation. Man, it sucks to be Elijah when you're Elijah and Moses. Everyone's (laughs) going to recognize Moses. It's like, yeah, like he even mentions in the transfiguration, this is a a little moment before Jesus's death that Moses and Elijah show up there 
and the apostles recognize them, and you're like, how? They yeah, didn't have photographs. On. Apparently, it's that thing where just someone gets the vibe. Oh, that's got to be Moses. That's got to be Elijah. So, scene. So I, I don't know. For whatever reason, I was not aware of this, that that's a common belief that those two witnesses will be Elijah and Moses. Yeah, interesting. And they will be killed, or so it will be thought. But three days later, they will arise, just like Jesus. They'll be raptured. By the way, Ross, is it? I'm Ross. I broke my toe. Oh, no. I know. Good thing we went to see a faith healer. We sure did. <laughs> can't, can't wait say. to can't, can't wait to tell you, you more about that. But I'll tell you this: I have a broken toe still. Oh, are you, <laughs> are you implying that the faith healer did not miraculously no, I don't know. hear? I'm just saying I have a broken toe. Still hurts. Still hurts. Oh my god, it really hurt it's, a couple days ago. It's yesterday. been almost two weeks now. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. been almost, almost two, two weeks, weeks since you broke your toe. toe. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Monday will be two weeks. And by three weeks, I'm allowed to walk uphill. Oh, is it uh, still discolored and pointing the wrong way? What yeah. do you think? Yeah, yeah, okay. Now it's more localized, but I'm seeing the uh, the purple of necrosis. Yeah. <laughs> it, it. She's going to make it, folks. It hurts so bad. Don't oh, break your toe, people. No. Have you ever broken a toe? I don't think so. I'm th- pretty sure I've gotten like hairline fractures as a runner, but whatever it is, is healed up. Yeah, it sounds painful. And you were carrying cat shit? Yeah, I was carrying 100 pounds of cat shit. Listen, you fell in it? Yeah. Okay, you want me to sounded, tell the story? Sounded very inglorious. Yeah, yeah. Cat. As I keep flipping for okay. new talking points. I just told this story also on my famous podcast, Hidden Mickey's Today, so I'm experienced. Okay, so uh, we have a litter robot. I'm a litter robot. Exactly. It collects my cat's shit into (laughs) a drawer, and then once a month, we just open it up and you take the feces out. Feces and urine, right? There's all those big clumps of urine. Yes. Oh, yeah. So when you take it out, it's like 20 pounds. It's really heavy. Mm -hmm. And so Drew was cleaning it out. He pulls out a bag of cat shit. He's like, hey, can you grab this? I grab it. He's like, oh, while you're taking that, there are some on the porch. I walk to the porch. It turns out on our porch, there are four other bags of cat shit (laughs) waiting for me. So I try to pick up all five bags of cat shit. So now I've got about 100 pounds of Mm. cat shit. And I think to myself, even though it's 10 p.m., even though I have no shoes on, even though it's pitch black out there, I'm going to walk down these stairs and I'm going to take a hundred pounds worth of feces to I'm, the trash I'm crushing can. the hundred pounds. I don't think I could lift a hundred pounds of anything. Really? It well, really it's a heavy. lot of catch it. It was a lot of catch it. Okay. Okay. So then, but since it's five different bags, now you got five different like- I guess I can lift my wife and okay. All yeah. right. Depending on how you do. All right. So, but now there's five different like swinging- balls of cat shit so they swing uh, in different ways and then they come together like a wrecking ball (laughs) Mm. and then the wrecking ball who knew there would be two wrecking ball references in one episode (laughs) it comes at me it hits me in the stomach like i'm fucking houdini i go and it hits you like a wrecking ball I go over the front of the wrecking ball, oh, no. like <laughs> like I'm propelled forward. I land on the shit, and then my foot is pulled behind me onto the stair, 
and one little toe gets pulled all the way the wrong way. This little toe goes all the way the wrong way. Oh, and no. I, and I, I'd hurt so bad, and I yelled for Drew, and then I said, I think I broke my toe, and I'm definitely laying in catch. Yeah, oh, that's so sad. It's one of those uh, physical pain plus... Indignity. Indignity, right. <laughs> yep. It's oh. more or less what Natalie said, too. She's <laughs> like, oh, the, the broken toe's bad, but the cat shit's worse. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, uh, David Jeremiah uh, hits one of my pet peeves here. Okay. So he's talking about how we need to have our sins forgiven. And he said, had there been another way of redeeming the human race, do you think Christ would have gone to the cross? And that bothers me so much because well. God makes the rules. <laughs> yeah, totally. He's God. C.S. Lewis did this too in the Chronicles of Narnia. And I remember this bothering me that it was saying that Aslan had to go and be broken upon the altar because there was older magic. I'm like, what older magic? What is this? Like, there's no analogy for that in Christianity. There's no older magic that's beyond God or that God is bound by. Oh, I see. Oh, older than God? Yeah. Oh, that weird. essentially the point. Lewis had some really weird ideas. If you actually mm. read Lewis, which many people don't, they just mm. rely on him for being smart and still being a Christian anyways. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I suppose Christians would say, well, he can't be other than he is. It's about his nature. But still, it bothers me. He could have just forgiven everybody. He God? Been like, yeah. Totally. He'd been like, you know what? I forgive you. Totally. Yep. I forgive. If I have met you and mm-hmm. you have wronged me, mm-hmm. I hereby forgive you. This is on my podcast. You're forgiven. It's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's not that hard. You know, you're God. Yeah. I just have a podcast. <laughs> I just thought about that for a few seconds. It was like, okay, here are like the four people I really told something. Yeah, it's fine. You're God. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. You can do that. It really bothers me. Had there been another way? Of course there was another way. There doesn't have to be blood sacrifice. Yeah. What, what what rule is that? Someone has to shed blood. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He also would want to use like very specific stories where the metaphor itself would be fine without you telling me this really happened at a particular fair that you're going to name for me now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just get on with the analogy. No, sure. You know? Yeah, like it's let's, not that unusual that a theme park ride let's, stopped. Let's not pretend that uh, this was the Minnesota State Fair in 2013, and right. it was Gabby and Amy. I mean, I do appreciate details that can be corroborated. Oh, sure. In pastor stories, because that's rare. I'd be surprised if he gave those details. Yeah, I bet it would check out. When he's talking about uh, the new bodies, he says, "Just as the battered, bruised, bloodied, and broken body." again with the alliteration, of Jesus Christ (laughs) came out of the grave in a glorified state, in parentheses, except for the wounds in his hands and side, so the bodies of believers, regardless of their condition, will be raised in an immortal state and be reunited with their souls. But wait, why except for the wounds in his hands and side? If you get your perfect <laughs> spotless body that can't be harmed or have disease or food poisoning or any of that, why would those wounds be preserved? Why? Because Thomas was going to ask him a question and he had to prove himself to that one guy and we're all supposed to rely on that one story of that one guy who asked a decent question. Right. That annoys me, too. Doubting Thomas. You get the sense of how I hate read this book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like if someone asked me, like, yeah, how's Ross doing? And I'm like, he's doing good. He's doing good. Let's see. He's got 
wounds on both of his hands. He's got big gaping wounds on his sides. But yeah, no, he's doing really well. That's the definition of not doing well. <laughs> he's doing perfectly. His body is perfect, except for no. the the, no, the spear opening in his side. You're describing Ross and dying. Complete Go find him. See through holes in his hand. Otherwise, ideal. <laughs> It's not the quiet part out loud, but he very clearly stated the objective here. Our objective as Christians is not merely to be included in the rapture, but to take as many people with us as we can. Right. right, Of course. That's what this is all really about. Oh, speaking of Thomas here, this is another little like have it both ways kind of thing where everybody scolds Thomas for not believing. Thomas is one of the disciples and he's the one who like Mm -hmm. doesn't quite buy it when Jesus comes back and wants to put his fingers in Jesus's wounds to prove it. (laughs) Baller. Yeah. I want to make sure it's not painted on. Yeah. Let me put my finger in there. Finger in your wounds. You hear about that like with uh, early assassinations, like people sticking their hands in to try to fish out the bullet or something. You're like, don't put fingers in there. But this is before people knew about microbes. Anyways. So yeah, you got it. As Jesus promised his disciples that he would leave to prepare a place for them and return to take them there, he added, and where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Immediately, his his analytical show me disciple, Thomas, said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. (laughs) Yeah, Thomas, yes. And how can we know the way? Yeah, I know, like the voice of reason. Jesus answered with one of the most important statements in the Bible. So I'm like, sounds like you like the question then. (laughs) Touche, touche. We wouldn't have gotten that answer without Thomas asking the reasonable question. Mm -hmm. Don't get mad at the reporter. (sighs) When uh, you and I and our friend Matt applied for the American Bible Challenge, our team name was the Doubting Thomases. That's right. I really wish we'd gotten chosen. That would have been fun. Would have been cool. It was hosted by Jeff Foxworthy. Mm-hmm. We, we were that close. Yeah, we were in the evaluation rounds. They took our pictures. They made us take little scripture tests. And then they told us that America wasn't ready for an atheist team. Yeah. 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 One, I don't know if that was really true or if we just didn't quite do Someone on the side is like, oh, the producers weren't wild about the atheist uh-huh. team, but you guys did really well on your tests. <laughs> Uh, this was written for us. You may be reading this book as an unbeliever. Yes, that's us. Oh, I, yeah, I, I read wrote, the, yes, yep. mm-hmm. perhaps out of simple curiosity. And I wrote, no, <laughs> you have never recognized Christ as your Lord or submitted your life to him. Uh, I not wrote, quite. I did. <laughs> you may or may not have grasped everything you've read here. I wrote, I have, but I hope this is one way to enjoy the book. <laughs> This is Ross commentary all over. But I hope you can at least see that God will bring an end to the chaos of the sin-damaged world and restore his perfect rule over it. Ross writes, I want a taco. I wrote, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) But a taco would be nice. Yeah, he has delayed his return for centuries to give you and others like you the opportunity to come to him before the door closes. And I wrote, is delayed the appropriate word? Has he delayed it? Like, was he planning to do it earlier? You're you're like uh, halfway through. You're still able to engage with it on this level. Like, I'm just writing like, this again! (laughs) (laughs) In all caps, this again! This again, yeah. Um, I had lots of notes. Oh, my God. I was getting so annoyed by it. Uh, Oh, yeah. There's on page 132. He's arguing for like, I don't know why we'd want to go to heaven. The chapter's called What's Up With Heaven? <laughs> what, are you, what are you selling at this point? Yeah, that's, Everybody knows heaven's good. And that is not one way to be rapture ready. Right. But he basically says, you, you should want to go to heaven mm-hmm. because, okay, his first argument is because it's a place. Heaven is a wonderful place. 
filled with glorious grace. This is this is not an argument though. Face, because heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. Sorry. Oh no, we got it. Brought a song to my mind. So it's a place. It exists and will always exist. Uh There's mansions in it. What do you mean by place? Um. Oh, sure. Yeah, where uh, is it? In which direction from the earth could we point a telescope and see heaven? You can't. Our, our redeemer is there. Our friends who have died are there. Our money's all there, our resources. We have an inheritance there. We have a, a residence there. And it's precious because our reservation is there. And then he makes a analogy to a restaurant. And I was thinking like, the best restaurant is the one where you have a reservation, I guess. But like sometimes you switch your reservation. Yeah. Like the best restaurant isn't necessarily the one no, where a reservation you're on the is, list. Is work. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's one whole chapter about how heaven's good. Okay. He's not an angry man, like scribbling on a whiteboard like uh, Gene, Gene Scott. Scott. Yeah. You know, he just seems so reasonable and friendly and stuff. But yeah, every now and then he'll make these little political digs. And uh, I notice he he found an opportunity here to write, according to scripture, life begins from the moment of conception. Oh, okay. A little while later, he tells a story about David and Bathsheba, you know, the David in sin stole the wife from a man who he had killed. And um, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to confront him. And Nathan told him that the child conceived by them would be taken away in death. And David pleaded for the child's life with God and fasted and lay all night on the ground. And then the child was sick for seven days before he finally died, which makes it sound like God killed David's baby. Mm. And yet he still didn't confront him on the plural marriage thing. Okay, so speaking of plural marriage, so he references... This parable of the ten virgins. Oh, right. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier. Let me read this to you and see okay. what you think of this parable of the ten virgins. Is this from the, the Bible? Yeah, it's a Jesus parable. Okay. And actually, it was part of the rule of threes because Jesus mm. uh, gave three parables in this grouping. I mean, I'll tell you this. When I hear ten virgins story, I'm geared up for something disturbing. <laughs> Okay, this is from Matthew 25. I'm using the New International Version. Okay. At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Hmm. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps. What <laughs> is the situation here? But okay. <laughs> the foolish ones took their lamps but did not okay. take any oil with them. Okay. <laughs> the wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. This didn't happen. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Okay. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Okay, I don't know what that story is about. So I assume that virgins here just means the young women. They haven't had sex either. Oh, okay, and young so, maidens. And so they're following. There's ten of them. They're waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. Right. So are they going to have sex with them? Is that the idea? <laughs> I mean, this has been used to support polygamy. 
Oh, I that see. Jesus tells a story of 10 young virgins waiting for the bridegroom to arrive mm-hmm. and then going with him into the into the wedding feast. And then somehow it's like a wilderness preparation story. <laughs> it's like you didn't bring enough wax. Yeah. That's, that should not be the focus here. This is the weirdest story. And uh, it's, it's a big question mark. People debate about this. Mm. And a lot of people will be like, well, we don't really understand the customs of the weddings back then. Sure. So there were probably some kind of bridesmaids like they were mm. friends of the bride i'm sure they weren't all planning to marry him He's, they were on virgin airlines why would why would jesus say that because obviously jesus uh, implied that marriage should be between a man and a woman of course he did of course <laughs> yeah never directly <laughs> didn't want to clear that up or anything but it's such a strange thing because okay let's say that it is the theory where they're just a welcoming party and they're taking him over to this. Why? Why would you have 10 young ladies that would guide you over to the wedding banquet? Okay, maybe yeah. that's the custom. But um, and why are exactly five of them fuck ups? Yeah. And why, if you don't have your oil, can you not follow along with everybody else and make it there okay? And, but if if he is trying to marry all of them, you think he'd want as many as he could get, oil or not. Uh, yeah, sure. So yeah, Maybe it's a weeding technique. Maybe he doesn't want the dumb ones. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, he doesn't want the <laughs> foolish wives. He only wants the five smart ones. But either way, the story doesn't compute for me. It's the yeah. weirdest story. Totally. Bad parable, Jesus. Totally. So why Maybe was- your staff doesn't get it. <laughs> why was David Jeremiah talking about it? Oh, because it's one of the three parables about being ready for the return of Jesus. Oh, of course. Yeah. Directly so, comparing to the church to these wise and foolish virgins. Okay. Yeah. So if you're, first of all, if you didn't grow up in the church and you're still following us- Kudos to you. But, uh, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, deep cut. <laughs> but one thing you may not know is that the Bible often refers to, uh, refers to the church as Jesus's bride. Mm-hmm. Jesus marries the church yeah. spiritually. And you hear this all the time as a young Christian. And it, it did always strike me as strange the idea of Jesus like marrying all of us. Yeah, I remember being a young boy in the church and so much importance being placed on manliness that it was really weird to suddenly be lumped into a group of like, Oh, I'm part of the bride. I'm part of the bride. Okay. I'm not even the bridal party. I'm, I am the bride of the Christ. bride. So yeah, how far does this analogy go? Because it feels a little weird have that I, I'm the bride. Yeah, yeah. Have I told you about um, Linda, my best friend, when I was like a little kid, and she heard that mm-hmm. we were all part of Jesus's body. She heard this at like Sunday school, and so she said to me, <laughs> "We're all Jesus's body." But and then she was she was like working it out. So she's like, "We're all Jesus's body, but so we must be like different parts. So like someone's in the penis, uh-huh. someone's in the hand, and someone." One's in the nose. and <laughs> <laughs> She's in the know. Yeah, exactly. I like how she's thinking. Mm-hmm. Let's follow this analogy. But she she was giggling that some someone's going to be that penis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it going to be? Jesus had a penis. We don't think about it very often. Probably. Probably do. Have you ever heard of the holy prepuce? Uh, no. Is that uh, something that goes over your penis? Yeah, it's the foreskin. And oh, yeah. there's like multiple places that claim that they have... Jesus' discarded foreskin. Oh, gross. Okay, looking it up. We have Jesus' foreskin return. Holy prep use. Oh, my God. (laughs) Why? It's a strange world we live in, Carrie. You guys. Yeah, you see like the little golden case. We got to get over it. (laughs) 
<laughs> There's a very fancy container with uh, one of the holy prep uses. What are you looking at? Just the search results. Hold on, I'll <laughs> I'll show you what I'm. Oh, maybe I see it. Oh, it's like a yeah a golden yeah oh, vial <laughs> with a, a little white oh yeah <laughs> pad that has the like a scroll like a little fragment of of like gross papyrus skin. <laughs> um it's, yeah. it's probably somebody's skin. We gotta get over it. We just gotta. We gotta move on. <laughs> Come on, people. At one point, he says, I've mentioned C.S. Lewis a few times in these pages. And I wrote, You have. <laughs> so uh, he has a chapter called Why the Delay? And I was like, Yeah, mm. why? Good. Yeah, yeah. Please why a- the delay with you finishing this book? Please answer that. I wouldn't call it a way to be rapture ready, but I'm glad you're addressing <laughs> Touché. it. So, okay, it's fair to ask the question, why the delay? Thank you. Would you believe people were asking that same question even in the first century? Yes. Yes. Yes, we would. It says- Actually, I can believe it more. Yeah, yeah. It makes more sense they were waiting for him. He just said BRB. Right, right. Some of you standing here will not taste death until you see the Son of Man returning in the clouds at the right hand of the Father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what he said. They were expecting it. Might be why they waited so long to write the stories about him. Because oh, they're right, like, yeah. well, don't need to write anything down. Uh-oh. He's got it. He's coming back. We're starting to die. We better write some of this down. Anyways, Peter wrote, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? So I guess that's us now. But um, it's always been the case, right? There's always been scoffers. Sure. But uh, he pulls this flex. He does it. He says, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day, from Second Peter 3, 8. So he literally uses this, like, well, God has this just very fluid reckoning of time, and, you know, right. time just goes for a different rate for him. So for him, it's been 2,000 years. Feels like two days. Two days, great. He says that. Oh, it's so annoying. Come on. You know <laughs> who you were talking to. When you say soon, when you say quickly, when you say some of you will not taste death, that's part of the prophecy. At right. some point, you failed the prophecy. And it- why is time so fast to God? Why is a thousand years like a day? Yeah, because he exists. Well, here we go. The Bible teaches God exists in the past, present, and future at the same moment. For God, later is the same as earlier. The end is the same as the beginning. Now is the same as then. This is a great mystery, and it's hard to wrap our heads. Carrie's shaking her head. It's hard to wrap our heads around the concept of an eternal God. But if God were anything less than eternal, he would not in actuality be God. said nothing. You've already said with the blood sacrifice that he needs to be constrained to certain logical constraints. Right, right. He said that with the uh, with the kids, too. From God's perspective, Jesus hasn't been gone for as long as it seems to us. Just two days. Uh, and yeah, he's making that argument that, well, that this just gives more time for more converts. Well, the church is on the decline. So if anything, you're getting a lower percentage of converts than you were before. Maybe Jesus should have come back in the 50s when the church was doing really well. Mm-hmm. Higher percentage of people believing. What's he waiting for? What's he waiting for, people? He quotes John Piper. Since our God is... Oh, John Piper. I loved him when I was a Christian. 
Oh, you knew of John Piper. Yes, I read Desiring God when I was a Christian. I liked it a lot. Okay, one I wasn't familiar with. He says, since our God is immortal, does not age, does not forget, sees all history at a glance, and is never bored, he clearly does not experience time like we do. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. Don't fail to recognize this. It is no argument against Christ's second coming that almost 2,000 years have passed since his departure. From God's experience of time, it is as though Christ just arrived at his right hand the day before yesterday. And I wrote, and yet he helps you find your car keys. Have you ever heard of the open view of God's omniscience? This seems in line with that. Mm, No. I was really into this when I was leaving Christianity and like, you know, trying to make it work. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think John Piper is in this group of theologians who basically argue that they they mostly believe in universal salvation and they think that God's relationship to time is a really central and misunderstood aspect of scripture and that mm. actually like things are a lot better and cheerier than the scriptures come off because of God's relationship to time. Oh, interesting. Okay. Like yeah. see somebody run with that. Yeah, that whole delay chapter was incredibly frustrating because all of those arguments for why God would delay his return had no end to them. There's just no reason then why you mm-hmm. would, at some point you have to draw the line and say, yeah. I'm coming back. And at that point, there will be children who don't get to live out their full lives. Mm-hmm. There will be future people who are not born. Pick a time, do yeah. it. You picked a time one time before. He uh, at one point quoted Bodie Hodge, an engineer and a student of Genesis. He's one of the authors for Answers in Genesis. Thought that was interesting. Earlier, he quoted Henry Morris. And didn't mention that he is the father of modern creation science. Mm. So, yeah, he didn't get into creationism here in this book, but he was certainly referencing a lot of their uh, thought leaders. I like this quote from Dr. Tim LaHaye. If Jesus Christ does not return physically and literally to this earth to set up his kingdom, Christianity will turn out to be the greatest hoax in history. Oh, wow. And I said, we agree on that. You think so? You think it'd be the biggest hoax in history? What would be bigger? I, I don't know. I just haven't I haven't thought about it, but you feel pretty strongly. Uh, certainly a candidate. Yeah. He does have kind of a clever solve for what bothers me that every eye will see Jesus. Now with modern technology, you can say, well, there will be screens everywhere and it'll be on mm. the news. So everyone sure. will see that it's happening, even though it's over Mount Olive. But then it's like, then it should not be confusing. No one should be wondering what happened. Yeah, indeed. So. So. Dr. David Jeremiah. If you were thinking of reading his book, now you know about it and you can make your own call. Yeah, you'll see it. Again, it's uh, mostly blue, peach at the bottom, a little gradient of the sky. Yeah. You'll see it on your aunt's coffee table. I'd be surprised if you cannot buy this at Target. Oh, yeah. Once the initial back order is clear, it'll be everywhere. Probably Costco as well will have it in the books. And uh, yeah, might even make the airport bookstores. Yeah. See this being there. Purely something for people to buy their unbelieving friends. But other than a few little interesting tidbits, slightly new takes, this really does feel like the same old, same old. Oh my gosh, this is old territory. I'm amazed. You know, it's funny too, because last Sunday we mentioned that we went to this faith healer and um, I was thinking the same thing there. I was just like, man, we're still doing this, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about that more. But <sighs> yeah, it's it's so weird that this particular story just keeps going. Yeah. Keeps going. Firmly embedded. And, yeah. and you get so much instant credibility by referring to it that people just kind of 
make a big leap to come along mm-hmm. with you. And yeah, uh, you know, he doesn't say there's going to be a particular time, just that it could be incredibly soon. It could be tomorrow. Yep. And if it is. And it truly is unfalsifiable. I wish there were yeah. some way to call the bluff to say like, okay, well, let's meet up when I'm 70. You Aren't you going to feel silly that it didn't happen? Yeah. And there'll just never be a point at which you can say like, haha, it didn't happen, did it? Didn't the amazing facts guy, David Stewart, give you a rough estimate? Uh, I remember him bucking against me asking him for one. Yeah. And I was trying to like rephrase it in a way like, when would you be surprised if it hadn't happened? I think he basically said, if I really think it'll happen in my lifetime. So let's say by like the average age of death for a man born in my year. Okay. Yeah. Like, again, it just makes me like, well, listen to yourself. It's going to come and go. You're the point of reference. Does that mean anything to you? And, And whenever I say it's just not going to happen, I promise you it won't. I can hear myself through their ears and remember how I listened to similar, Mm. you know, anti-predictions. To me as a Christian, it just seemed like, well, you can't prove that because he could come. Yeah, sure. So it is uh, ironclad in that respect. Yeah. But when you do see that Jesus really did preach that it would happen in the lifetime of the people there at that time, at some point the prophecy just fails. Yeah. And you should focus. Or at least like becomes unusable. Indeed. Uh, You know, I would say don't spend a lot of your life thinking about these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe don't buy a bunch of books about them or anything. Maybe just focus on other things that you're interested in. Yeah. Or if you want to do this. (laughs) All right. Keep busy. I don't know. Have a good time. Look out for other people. (laughs) See if you can make the world a better place before you go. Yeah. At least they're reading. I don't know how to account for this being such a phenomenon, but it is. It's all over the place now. Yeah. And don't forget about the invasion of other gods. Actually, there's no the. So don't forget about invasion of other gods. The Seduction of New Age Spirituality by David Jeremiah and C.C. Carlson. Only gotten a little bit of it. Maybe we'll return to it. I know we have another uh, book report coming up in the next several weeks, so maybe we'll maybe we'll return. Oh, we didn't describe this guy physically. Yeah, you know, he's a older white man, uh, and some photos kind of reminds me of like an aging Rowan Atkinson, Mister Bean. Oh yeah, okay. Similar nose. Uh, you know, looks like a friendly guy, and when he talks, he sounds like your friendly grandpa. He's not yelling okay. at anybody, but he has such influence. Uh, with his ministry and uh, a wide reach and people who take this very seriously. My goodness, what a clean cut man. Mm -hmm. Well, we read it. You read it. (laughs) I read half of it. Uh, And now you've all felt like you've read it. Yes. And that's it for our show. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. This episode was edited by Ross Blotcher. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. You can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Do it. Tell your friends. Buy some merch on MaximumFun.org slash store. And uh, the world's probably not going to end anytime soon, but... uh, Probably not, but maybe. But uh, let's all do our best to make it a better place than we found it. All right. How's that? Yeah. uh, I'm just going to write the same book over and over. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Goodness. (laughs) David Jeremiah. Oh, it's working for him and it annoys me. He's probably getting so much money from this book. probably got on a plane and wrote it on the way there. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably like lifted from all his previous books and no one will ever notice because they buy them and don't actually read them. Yeah. Anyway, Anyway, if you're David Jeremiah, please come on the show. We'd love to talk to you. We'll be nicer than this. Next time we're in El Cajon, we'll stop by. Yeah. And remember. It's never too late to receive God's grace. You, You could get saved in the tribulation. 
But you also must understand that following Jesus during the tribulation will exact an incredibly high price. Because as you remember, when the Antichrist takes over in the tribulation period, he will require that everyone get a mark called the mark of the beast on their forehead or on their hands. What is that? It's an ingrained credit card, really. It makes it impossible for you to buy any food or drugs, go to the hospital, do any business, unless you can show in your body the mark of the beast. And Christians will not take the mark of the beast because that is a mark that says we give allegiance to Satan. I'm glad you said that because nobody says that. Can I just say thank you to you for such a thoughtful interview? Oh my God, yeah, I think you nailed it. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. Listen to the Bullseye podcast only from NPR and Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.